0: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 today. Uh, This is our verse-by-verse analysis of this very controversial chapter. As you know, we're in this discussion of tongues. Now, if you have missed the prior broadcast, we've been uh, covering this now two weeks, Here's our third week in this subject matter. If you've missed those, you can go to calvaryfountain.com, and there is a drop-down for video, audio. You click that button, you can select from our podcast radio program as well as from our video archive of our broadcast that we are able to produce for the Sunday morning service, which is our study of the Book of Matthew right now. So again, you have a lot at your fingertips there you can utilize. So again, I just want to thank you for tuning in. We're in our third week now of studying the subject of tongues, The very controversial subject matter. It's going to take us quite a few weeks to get through this. So I want you just to stay patient with me. Uh, because uh, we're going to hopefully cover many of the questions you might have throughout these uh, weeks that are ahead of us, uh, because we've got a quite quite a, quite a great deal to, to cover on this. As you probably have picked up over the last couple weeks, uh, this subject matter of tongues is is quite complex. It's not as simple as it may appear, and this is why it's created such division in churches today. And with everything that we're going through in our world today, the the last thing we need is more division in the church. So it's my hope here to clarify some of the uh, controversies in this by going right back to what Scripture tells us and teaches us so that we can clear up any confusion on this matter and not to create further division in the church. Certainly don't want to offend my brothers and sisters out there as you're listening to this broadcast. I just want you to be patient with me. Hopefully by the end of this series I've answered your questions and you have more clarity and you're also filled with grace towards me that I have not offended perhaps some of your traditions. Uh, and that, that's the issue that we find ourselves in through a lot of uh, uh, the lenses that we use to examine Scripture. We end up with an eisegesis perspective where we're reading into the text because that's what we know. Uh, What we rather, what we should do here is just read the text for what it says, extrapolate from that. And hopefully that will guide us correctly through this very uh, controversial subject matter. So again, here we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, examining the subject of tongues as the Apostle Paul draws our attention to this. And uh, let me just pick up where we ended last week. What I mentioned in closing was the powerful nature of words, the powerful nature of language itself, that language is a gift that we just take for granted and how the alphabet came on the scene, how language is gifted to us. And what uh, distinguishes us is a, a creature of, of intellectual capabilities and intelligent species because of our ability to communicate with clarity, that we can use a construct of sounds that convey thought, even uh, going to the details of poetry and even the depth of the nature of God himself, that that uh, creation even in the very first chapter of Genesis began with God spoke and he created through his spoken word and how salvation is even based in a spoken word in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved so the the gift of tongues was critical to the early church to enable the gospel to be preached throughout the world to all nations and in an all known languages. It it involved the divine ability to speak in languages previously unknown to the speaker. So let's pick up here in this subject. I, I believe this gift authenticated the message of the gospel and those who preached it as coming from God. We see that they spoke and there were signs and wonders and it confirmed even the apostles as speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ. Now, their words were always accountable to the rest of the written text. And we see that just before Jesus Christ is born, the Septuagint had been written and translated into Greek, the known language at that time. So we have the first compilation of all of the Old Testament, and now the New Testament is being written. So that's a critical piece to understand here, that the New Testament is still in its infancy, if you will. It had been given by Jesus Christ to his disciples. The disciples become apostles as they're sent out and now have to give the message that they were taught as they were interning under Jesus Christ. And he was sending them out two by two and equipping them with all that they needed, even of himself by the power of the Holy Spirit, to go out and build the church. And think about the magnitude of that responsibility that we have at Estimates that since 30 AD, roughly 8.3 billion people have called themselves Christians since that time. There are 314,000 Christian churches in America today, 641 right here in El Paso County, and around the world some 3 to 5 million Christian churches. And so this was a, an imperative assignment, one that was far greater than the flesh who were given these assignments. These 11 men now who were left behind after the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven were given an assignment far greater than any man could ever comprehend to finish the work of Jesus Christ. So they needed to go out into all of the world. And you'll see that that of these 11 and twelfth, with Matthias, and of course with Paul being added to that group, That as they would go out into all the known world, even as far east as India, up into the northern territories of Europe, southern areas of Russia, down into Africa, those men did exactly what God had appointed for them to do. So at this point, when 1 Corinthians chapter 14 was written on the subject of tongues, you have three New Testament scriptures that have been written by this point. James around 45 AD, Mark around 50 AD, and the Gospel of Matthew around 55 AD. In fact, it's the Gospel of Matthew that will go all the way to India. That particular text is what will be used to establish the churches even out there. The next Gospel that will be written is around 60 AD, the Gospel of Luke. So when Paul is writing to this Corinthian church, this church there in Corinth, they have three other New Testament texts. So the gift of tongues is critical, especially as they're given the directive to go to all the Gentiles. With Paul, really, that was his mission, to go to all the Gentiles and give the gospel message. Now, the entire uh, compilation of the Bible as we know it today wouldn't be finished till well, far later. In fact, the oldest text that we have today is dated around 300 A.D. So, Revelation was written around 90 A.D. Uh, So, 24,000 texts start going out of what we consider to be the New Testament. All these churches are using that text. And to compile them together into a canonized scripture, Uh, would happen just sometime thereafter. uh, We see that they're already trying to keep up with what the churches are using. There's a lot of accountability that was needed there to make sure what was written was accountable to the Old Testament as well. But the Codex Vaticanus was written around 300 A.D. That's the oldest text that we have today. So between 57 A.D. and 300 A.D., you really needed to hold everything accountable, especially with revelation that was coming out, the the signs and wonders, the spoke word in a church. That was, that's why the gift of prophecy was so critical. Therefore, the gift of tongues was especially critical to this fulfillment of the Great Commission. So the Bible really has this incredible story as it's being translated and copied and distributed from around 301 AD with the translation to the Gothic people to the translation in English— in the 14th centuries, will between 1301 and 1399. so you've got a thousand-year period of time here that will fundamentally transform the world because of the gift of tongues, the gift of language, glossa. Okay so that we could see how this movement from Latin uh, well the resistance from Latin to Greek uh this uh, the Greek from Latin and so forth so uh, Greek would be the known language then English would follow that English would become the almost the global language of commerce just like Greek was. And you can see there's so much resistance to even translating it to English. And of course, the English Bible is now all around the world and being translated to other languages as well. So again, this thousand-year journey of the Bible being translated is quite amazing. Let me just give you some examples of how the gift of tongues, of language, was critical. There's a, a missionary. Back in 311 A.D., so this is about the time of our oldest canonized Bible, the Vaticanus, The Ulfius is his name. His name means little wolf. And he saw his family captured by the Goths when they plundered Asia Minor. So again, he's born around 311 A.D., and Ulfius learned several languages, became an official to the Gothic court, and was sent to Constantinople to be part of this a diplomatic mission to for Emperor Constantine to the Gothic people. So he becomes a bishop there at the age of 29 and he moves to Bulgaria. So in 350 AD, Ulfius decided to translate the Bible into Gothic, which was an unwritten language containing words for only concrete ideas. Okay, so again, No, 1 Corinthians 14 was written around 57 AD. This is 300 years later, and the Gothic people still had no written language. So he he first had to invent an alphabet for them, which he adopted from the Greek, but the real challenge was to invent words to communicate the abstract concepts of the Bible. You have to be able to communicate the gospel message, especially sin and the hope in salvation and through Jesus Christ and the, the adjectives and all the descriptors of God Himself in His very nature. You need an alphabet to do this. So Ulfius it, it, it translates all the books of the Bible except for Kings. <laughs> the story says that uh, he, he didn't do that because it was so filled with military conquests and the Gothic tribes were very fond of war. So he didn't want to uh, provoke them to further violence, so he didn't translate the Book of Kings. Uh, But he goes through and he translates the Bible, and Christianity was the goal to bring to the Gothic people. He wanted them to know Christ, so he creates an alphabet, translates the Bible to be able to give them not only their first written alphabet, but an introduction to Jesus Christ and salvation for all mankind— this language became the first written Germanic language that's right the germans had a written language because of a missionary who went to them to give them the gospel message and that was 300 years after first corinthians chapter 14 so you see he needed the gift of tongues he needed the ability by way of the holy spirit to understand them to write their language and to give them the gospel message now christianity did the same thing to britain It came to Britain when the Romans extended their empire to the British Isles in the first century. So the Vikings then invaded Britain and drove Christianity to the western and northern shores, which was Ireland and Scotland, until St. Augustine arrived from Rome in 597 to convert the Angles into angels. That's what he said, the Angles into angels. Now this was 540 years after 1 Corinthians 14 was written. So that's 540 years of the gift of language still being used. So the Lindisfarne Gospels were written in Latin, but a priest wrote in red ink between the lines of Latin an Old English translation of the Gospels, which became the earliest known English translation of any portion of the Bible. So at the end of the Middle Ages, America would be discovered less than a century after the English Bible was first translated. So, to push the, the, and to civilize all of these barbaric cultures, which were known as the Germans today or the English, they did this through the knowledge and understanding of God's Word, their pursuit to drive these barbarians into a civilized culture by way of the Bible that would ultimately introduce them to Jesus Christ and teach them morality would lead to three of the top five largest, most influential countries in the world today. The United Kingdom, the United States, and Germany. All because individuals had this urgency to go to these tribes, write down an alphabet, help them communicate the depths of God's holy word, and ultimately lead them to Jesus Christ. So, this aspect of tongues, this gift of tongues, is without dispute when demonstrated for the express purpose of evangelism. Okay, this gift was critical to this this great commission, this impossible mission that was needed for mankind to fulfill that which the Lord had called them to do. So you won't hear an argument between believers over the first four aspects of tongues that we talked about last week. We mentioned that it was uh, used of the 161 occurrences in the Bible. It's uh, used to reference an organ, the the tongue in our mouths, that physical organ between our, our teeth there. It's also an expression of character It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, or even diverse linguistics languages. But where we get tripped up is when tongues is used in the fifth aspect of this, which is related to what appears to be a spoken, unknown language to the speaker that may be either one or more of nearly 7,100 languages of the world, or an unknown spiritual language of the Holy Spirit, all for the express purpose of worship to God. Okay, That's where things get tripped up. No one seems to argue whether or not God gave the gift of language to minister the gospel to people groups all across the globe, to uh, communicate the depth of God's holy word, to create alphabets, to write the Bible, to translate it into various languages. Of course, the gift of language was necessary, the gift of tongues needed in this critical mission assignment. But in Acts chapter 2, we see all five aspects of tongues working in perfect harmony. In Acts chapter 2, we see men speaking languages that was not their native tongue, still language of men. Why? Because it was a fulfillment of prophecy. Now Joel chapter two verse twenty eight, they were praising God and worshiping Him, worshiping Him, but the Holy Spirit was the source of their pure worship within them. And the language that left their lips was heard and understood by those who needed to hear it. So they heard worship, but it astonished them so much that Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, was able to speak to them boldly, and the listeners were convicted, repented, and thousands were saved. You see, worship fostered evangelism. The two go hand in hand. In Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 46, which is one of the verses that uh, sections that I spoke about last week, where the subject of tongues, the spiritual gift of tongues, really has created some divisive discussion. Uh, Acts chapter 10, Acts 19, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Corinthians 14. These become the four areas that have created denominational differences. So if you look to Acts chapter 10, 44 to 46, we see Peter presenting the gospel message to Gentiles, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon the listeners for they heard them speak with tongues and they magnify God. They glorify the God of heaven. And then in Acts chapter 19 verse 6, we see Paul giving the gospel message to those in Ephesus, and then as he is baptizing them, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they spoke with tongues, and prophesied. So it's it's interesting that it, in each situation here there was praise and worship as a result of the Holy Spirit, and that leads to or is preceded by evangelism, which is also a work of the Holy Spirit. So everything is purposefully done with God. He has a reason for everything that He does. So is the gift of tongues only a language of men that is unknown to the speaker? Oh, that's a big question. Now, since the Great Commission is before us, as I've mentioned already, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, does that mean that every expression of tongues will be a language of Genesis chapter 11? After all, God made language. God gave the alphabet. We talked about that last week, around 1500 A.D. or excuse me, B.C., 1500 B.C., And we believe the Torah was written around 1440 B.C., so at the very time that the Torah was written, suddenly language and alphabet and all of these things, like the world had never known, is coming on the scene at the very same time, moving from hieroglyphics, Cuneiform tablets and all sorts of other forms of communication to now an alphabet and a very detailed form and structure of language that could communicate the depths of God, the imagio dei. So uh, Paul says there is a tongue of men and a tongue of angels in 1 Corinthians 13.1. In Romans 8.26, we read that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Then in 1 Corinthians 14.2 and verse 14, we read that it's possible for the spirit to pray in a way that the mind is not understanding of it. So based on these few verses, there appears to be more to this state of worship unto God that cannot be fully explained. Now, let me also add, it cannot be taught. We don't have a construct for its sound. We don't know what it sounds like. We don't know any more about this. So therefore, we dare not dance in the gray area. We we need to be very careful about not dancing in the gray area, okay? We need to to hold fast to what is communicated with clarity, lest we find ourselves uh, in disobedience and and creating chaos within worship rather than orderly, wise worship. So in my humble opinion, there's not enough evidence here to support the idea that tongues is a special, unknown prayer language. Now, this would not fit the narrative of the purpose of the spiritual gifts as a whole, okay? So, some of you are getting ready to stone me right now. Hang on. Let's look at this further. We read in Mark 16, 17 that we will speak in new tongues, and this is a result of being filled by the Holy Spirit specifically for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's go back and read now Romans 8 with that understanding. Romans 8, 26 to 27. Here's what we read. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, since we're weak, and we know that we're weak, according to James 4.3, the Holy Spirit is working with our spirit, as we also read in Romans 8.16, and makes intercession for us as we pray. So although we might may not have the gift of speaking in tongues, which we may manifest as a language of men, of Genesis chapter 11, but is unknown to the speaker... We can all be assured that the Holy Spirit is delivering our worship and prayers to God and translating them accordingly. because our, our understanding is finite and our words don't always capture what the heart is feeling, sometimes deliberately. So're we're, we're you know honestly, we're not really that honest with God with our words. I mean, when we really pray before the Lord, Sometimes we're holding things back. We're not as transparent with God as we ought to be. So listen, here's some thoughts on this from Chuck Smith. Now, I, I, I thought this was a great quote. I'm going to share it with you. I'm just going to read his quote, the late Chuck Smith. Here's what he said. Have you ever come to a place where your feelings are greater than your capacity to express them? I often do, especially when I'm in the realm of spiritual things. I'm in the realm of God's goodness and God's blessing or the greater things of God, the character of God. And as I began to ponder these things of God, the greatness of his love, his power, his glory, when I begin to think of all that he has done for me, as nothing as I am, I suddenly come to the place where to express to God my thanksgiving and gratitude, language becomes a barrier. It doesn't really express what I feel. It's inadequate. Because I have to express it through language my vocabulary or, or whatever, it's just restricting. And, and to bring it through the narrow channel of my intellect is sort of like a funnel. And it just sort of backs up because of the broad base of the Spirit now channeling through this narrow funnel, the intellect. It is so cut down. It's so restricting. God has given us a gift whereby we can bypass the narrow channel of the intellect and we can enter into a posture of full worship of him. Now, my spirit now united with his spirit and a full unrestricted flow of my love and my appreciation and my expression to him of his greatness and of his glory as I praise and glorify the God of heaven that I worship and serve. It's rather nice to know that I'm able to bypass the narrow channel of the intellect in this posture of worship. Now, I think that's a powerful statement there, but it can also lead to some confusion. Because again, we have an orderly, wise God. So how do we channel all of that passion, all of the fact that we're not as transparent with God as we should be? We got to get real with God, and we have to sometimes struggle to find the words as we're communicating with God. But in this time of prayer— there is still an orderly, wise construct to how we engage with the God of heaven and earth. So here's some, something more here to, to ponder in this. Is it possible to speak in tongues while praying and worshiping in English? I think it's possible. I think it's even plausible. We can even pray and worship without words, even leaving our lips. I want to make sure that I make that quite clear because I do know individuals who are challenged in that area. They can't speak as you and I may speak. Uh, so so we're, we can't suggest for a moment that somehow their prayers are less effective because they don't have the ability to use their organ of the tongue. Okay, so Isaiah 65, 24 tells us this, Psalm ninety four eleven, Psalm 139, verse 4. Though it's certainly encouraged in scriptures, if we have a tongue, we're supposed to use it. If we can make a sound with our mouth, it's supposed to be a joyful noise unto the Lord. It's a sweet aroma unto the nostrils of our king. And we see this even from Psalm 5, 3 and Hebrews 13, 15. So we assume that God is hearing our prayers in the English words that we're speaking. Now, some of you may be listening right now and you're hearing it Spanish. I don't know, maybe whatever translator you may have on. So whatever that language is, we think that that's exactly the way God is hearing and receiving. And he certainly can. And that says he's a God, the author of language. But in reality, I think that even though God fully understands our language, since God created language, we're told that the Holy Spirit within us is speaking a different language to God and translating our prayers according to His holy purposes, His will. So in the same vein, I think that as you and I... Look and nod at each other, and we're hearing words. In fact, we're speaking in the same language and hearing what the Holy Spirit wants us to hear. That what we're doing in a posture of prayer is submitting to the holy purpose of, of God to pray His own will back to Him. That removes our pride from the equation. When we're truly in a posture of prayer, whatever language He's hearing it in of the Holy Spirit, that's between God and Himself. Okay, so I believe that if the gift of tongues came upon you and you needed to share the gospel with someone who needed to hear it, then you would speak and they would hear. Okay, that's the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. Language would not be a barrier because of the Holy Spirit, and he will ensure that translation is occurring there. So this does not give us a license to just jump on a plane and go to a foreign country without planning. The farmer must till the soil. must Work must be done. But God does bring the rain and then another must bring the harvest. okay so I'm out of time and I'm just getting started. You can see this is why it's going to take a few weeks to get going here. I need you just to understand that there is something going on in the supernatural plane that sometimes we try to manifest in the in the flesh. We have to understand that the Spirit is going to have a language with God the Father, and sometimes we try to create that language out of our own strength. What we need to understand is even if we're hearing English, God is going to hear exactly what He needs to hear from Himself, being spoken back to Himself by way of the Holy Spirit. It's something that's mind-boggling, really, when we start to comprehend what's going on here, when our finite minds are wrapped around the spiritual gift of tongues. But we also have to understand it's very real utilization In fulfilling the Great Commission, the gift of tongues has been critical. For, for more than a thousand plus years now and as, as we've gone in all the nations to preach the gospel so this is a, a serious discussion we're having here we've got so much more to cover stay with me on this you probably have a number of questions already brewing up in your mind we will get to them over these next few weeks so again I want to thank you for listening to engage in truth thank you for sticking with us now we're three weeks into our subject of tongues go to calvaryfountain.com to learn more listen to the previous broadcasts, and if you're looking for a church to engage with we we would love to worship with you at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. We'd love to see you there. God bless you.